Hi, Georgia. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Hi, I'm not too bad, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's entirely our pleasure. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you. You've got quite um, a very unusual story, a very you know, sort of just experience to share for us in, involving you, you and your mother. It's something you've you've spoke about quite extensively. You do a lot of activism and a lot of good on the back of your experience. But for, for those of us in the audience who may not be familiar with your story, maybe you can just go through, uh, go through it again with us and whatever you're comfortable with, uh, letting us know what happened. Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm happy to go into any detail. This is something I do regularly. Um, and yeah, there's no question that I can be asked that I've, I haven't been asked before. Um, What's your favourite cheese? Got to be camembert. Love a bit of camembert. See? Wonderful Ooh, choice. I'm, always on, I'm on the ball here. <laughs> um, yeah, so I grew up, unfortunately, um, in a household with domestic abuse. Um, and at the age of 14, I witnessed uh, the domestic homicide of my mother um, that was perpetrated by my stepfather. Um, so that's kind of the overview um, of what I experienced, really. Um, and yeah, you know, it was something that I experienced it as a child. Um, my mum was divorced from my father uh, when I was two. Um, she met a partner after that who was also, uh, he was quite physically abusive, mostly towards me um, growing up. And that was, it was quite an intense period of time. Um, after my mum left him, we had a period of time on our own. And then when I was around seven, uh, my mum met my stepdad. Um, he was a farmer, very well known in our town, which is a very small farming community. Um, and, you know, everyone sort of knows everybody. Um, yeah, very well known, well respected man um, for, for many reasons. Um, he's a farmer, had his own farm um, and yeah, charming, pleasant, you know, could, you, you wouldn't really look at him in any other way. Um, and sort of he was almost the perfect man. Um, but realistically, he wasn't. Um, he was he was incredibly charming when they met. Um, he would take me around the farm. Um, he'd take my mum out. He'd do things, um, you know, put in a lot of effort, as you normally do at the start of a relationship anyway. Um, but unfortunately, this was a very much a sort of mask for what he really was like. Um, and slowly but surely, he began drip feeding a lot of coercive control um, into the relationship. Um, their relationship was never, he was never physically violent, particularly. Um, he was a big guy. Um, he was, you know, six foot farmer, strong, ex-rugby player. Um, you know, he he was a well-built man. Um, and my mum was only, you know, five foot five, very small, um, slim build woman. So, you know, he didn't have to necessarily physically abuse her to intimidate her. Um, and a lot of the time, in, in our case, his way of intimidating her was more so with with words and, you know, with the way, mental abuse uh, and the coercive control rather than the physical abuse. Um, as sort of time went on, um, it became more and more apparent. My mum was isolated a lot. Um, she stopped going out because it was one of those scenarios, unfortunately, where when she went out, it was we were always living in fear of what what mood were we going to come home to um you know and we would always have a conversation in the car on the way home oh well what's he going to be like when we get home is he going to be in a good mood tonight is he even going to be there or is he going to be at the pub which was you know he was always at the pub um it was very rare 
that we sort of ever really had had good times that we did obviously but a lot of the time that was mostly playing happy families almost um did this man have any previous relationships that you were of previous marriages anything like that um yeah so she was married to my dad um they were together for for quite a long period of time um, and they obviously like i said they divorced when i was two. Oh, sorry i, I meant did uh, your stepdad have any previous oh, he, he did yes um yeah so he was previously married um he was previously married before but that marriage had ended uh quite a few years before my mum met him um so yeah he was previously married we didn't really his previous marriage wasn't necessarily something we talked about and the things that sort of were spoken about to do with it he very much did the classic oh she was a psycho oh this oh that very much shifting the blame from his behavior onto her um which is a very common thing that we sort of see within domestic abuse um and you know it just goes to highlight that he was a serial perpetrator um so he did he does have a previous conviction um which was uh, and it was made apparent and made public information obviously with his conviction before and also with our case um it was something that was brought up in court um but yeah what was, was that conviction for um the details i am not entirely sure however he was um yeah he, he received a four year suspended sentence um to do with uh, an, a couple of incidents that had happened previously i'm not really um meant to talk about too much to do with okay that. let's well family, due to family some, reasons i understand i totally understand but something i, I think we, we we could talk about i think it'd be really important because i think you're you're doing fantastic work in this area is this idea of sort of uh non-violent coercive abuse in the relationship so a lot of people might assume that you know a relationship that culminated in a sort of violent murder would have necessarily been a frequently violent, abusive relationship. But, uh, I mean, according to your testimony and things I've heard you say before, that's not necessarily the case. A lot of the abuse came in various other forms that tend to get overlooked in these sort of scenarios, don't they? Yeah, 100%. It's very much something that is overlooked. Coercive control is in, you know, every abusive relationship, whether that's physical or not, that, you know, there will be coercive control. If there is, you know physical violence there is also coercive control but where there's coercive control there isn't always physical violence um, or sexual violence that's another big one in uh, abusive relationships um and yeah there was there was no physical abuse but it was all coercive and unfortunately that is something that is overlooked by a lot of services the police obviously the police particularly at this point in time i know there's a lot of law changes going on um and different things coming into place but coercive control isn't overly recognized and if you look at a lot of systems that um you know that are out there you won't come very high on a risk assessment if there is no physical violence because essentially there's no laws being broken up until a, to a certain point and a lot of perpetrators will play that system very well um and they will know how to almost get away with it um and to continue their abuse without being convicted for you know an offense essentially um yeah what what kind of forms did this take with your stepdad then i mean you gave this scenario where if your mum left the house sometimes accompanied with you sometimes not there'd be an, an atmosphere and you wouldn't quite know what you'd be coming home to what what would that experience be like typically Oof, um yeah it was it was a horrible atmosphere to be in um he would he would he was very much the kind of person that would give the silent treatment and um, that was our 
that was our common thing and that for me personally was one of the hardest things that I went through in that environment um because he didn't just do it to my mum he did it to me and often very very often I was used as a weapon um in that scenario um and he would just he would just ignore you down to the point where you know you, you could be sat in the same room as him and he would just not even acknowledge your existence never mind not talk to you and this would go on for for days and and sometimes up to weeks and you wouldn't know what you'd done wrong that was the mm. issue it would he would just flip and you would have not a clue what you had done wrong and all you would do it would eat you alive going what have I done what have I done and all you'd want to do is try and make it right and, and sort it out but you just never never knew and we were very much living on eggshells because we didn't know what it was that would cause him to you know go in you know, give us a silent treatment and and things like that so how can we avoid that behavior if we didn't know and quite often it would change it was always always different scenarios um and we never we never just never knew what to expect with him that was that was the uh probably the most you know the hardest thing in that scenario was not knowing what was coming next it's it's interesting how you talk about this idea of the silent treatment as being abusive because a lot to a lot of people just hearing about it it might not seem uh so significant but you know I, I think i remember reading a study several years back that sort of said being ignored kind of ignites certain pain receptors in your brain similar to physical pain not followed that up since i just remembered it now and it, it does strike me as the kind of thing where it could really you know psychologically and emotionally damage someone to be ignored and not quite know what you've done i mean would, when you said this he'd he just kind of blow up or um you know it, it, would, would this mean that he'd lose his temper would he shout would he would he throw things how, how would that manifest quite often it was he would remain quite unnervingly calm in, mm. and he would just twist everything that was said if there was a disagreement he would go away and he would obviously think about it for a couple of days and he would come back to the scenario and he would just spit everything back at you that had been said and he would twist it and it would just be and you wouldn't remember what had been said entirely uh, but he would just reel it all off to you but he would twist it in such a way that actually you you know you, you he, he was gaslighting and you would think oh maybe maybe I, I am in the wrong here um you know I was quite loud you know I'm quite an independent person um, I've always been quite outspoken and that was something he didn't like um, within the household. He didn't he didn't like that I wasn't his child. Um, and yeah, I, I was quite loud. Obviously, like I said earlier, going through the previous physical abuse that I'd been through with my mum's previous relationship, you know, I when I first met him, you know, I did have quite a bad temper. I was quite unruly just because I'd, I'd been through such a traumatic childhood already um and you know that was something that he he really took advantage of um and you know for example one one scenario that happened um was we were sat around the dinner table talking um and he said that I was never going to grow up to be strong and uh I was going to be weak all because my mum didn't breastfeed me I was bottle fed as a baby and because I didn't get my colostrum and my mother's breast milk he said that I was always going to be weak and how dare she not give me my colostrum and I deserve that. And she's basically ruined me all because she couldn't breastfeed me. Um, and that's, that is the kind of scenarios that he would turn on my mum. So obviously my mum would feel 
dreadful about it because she's like, you know, I was her pride and joy. Um, and yeah, my mum would feel terrible about it. But then it was also, you know, I would then be like, oh, it's my fault that he's kicking off at mum. And eventually it did cause a huge strain on my relationship with my mum because he would take everything out on her that I, I was supposedly doing. Um, so then the second that I was, I don't know, getting a bit excitable at home or running around or whatever, she would shout at me to stop and we'd have fall out because she was that concerned and worried about what she was going to get from him afterwards. Okay. Um, my grandparents refused to come to Christmas um, later down, you know, later throughout their relationship because they just didn't like how we were treated. And uh, I was playing with my toys that I'd got for Christmas. I was quite happy. Um, and I just got shouted at uh, and told to just go away, essentially. Uh, and my nan and granddad were disgusted with it and they refused to ever come to Christmas again um, because they just did not like the behaviour. Yeah, it sounds a pretty unbearable atmosphere for sure. I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the uh, relevance of firearms here because, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, I mean, a lot of people in the UK might not understand how somebody has legal uh, firearm ownership and certainly people in America may think that's not a possibility in the UK so maybe you can just explain how your stepdad was in possession of legal firearms what these firearms were exactly and, and were these kept within the home with you and your mum? Yeah so um, in the UK particularly mostly if you're sort of in within agriculture um, it's 90% of people have guns I would you know I would say um, there aren't many farmers I know who don't have guns um, but also as a just a normal citizen you can have access to firearms um, you have to go through quite a rigorous um, testing your doctor has to agree um, you have to have certain referees and there's quite a lot of things you have to have put in place um, however if you have a reason such as you shoot as a sport so clay pigeon shooting um, or you go game shooting so we had a game shoot at the, at the farm so pheasants partridge that kind of thing um, therefore you, you can have a license um and you can have access to firearms um his shotguns were kept in our house um but again with the licensing you have to have it in a locked cabinet and the cabinet has to be screwed to the wall and there's all sorts of different um regulations that you have to follow with the type of cabinet all this kind of thing um but yeah we we had guns in the house i've been shooting since i was seven eight so it's something that i grew up with it was normal to me to have guns around essentially um you know I was shooting air rifles from as soon as I met him um and obviously that progressed as time went on it progressed up to me using shotguns as well um I still go shooting um it's not something that I have have stopped um I don't have my own license um but I will go beating so I still that's basically where you go on a shoot and you I was just going to say, explain to the city boy what that means. <laughs> so the beaters, so on, a, on a shoot, you'll have your guns. So the, the people who shoot, um, you'll have your beaters who they essentially will walk through the woods or whatever the ground is. Um, and it's their job to sort of flush the birds towards a point where they will then fly out to get shot, essentially. Um, it's not exactly for the faint of heart. Um, I It's one of those things that even I struggle with sometimes, um, but I know that everything that is shot on on our shoots is eaten um it's not just trophy shooting it doesn't go to waste um and everything is reared properly and it's part of countryside management um and yeah essentially okay well um just trying to bring it back to your, your stepdad a bit i mean at what point did it start to like 
decline into a, a what we could possibly think is a, a far more dangerous situation leading up to the murder of, you, of your mother. I mean, I, I believe that there was, um, you know, he made it known that he was suicidal at the time. Did he receive some treatment for that? Any sort of diagnoses or anything? Yeah, so it got pretty intense, particularly towards the end. Um, it was mostly after they got married, really, and we moved into the farmhouse with him. Um, that was when he sort of had her trapped then. Um, he knew that she couldn't leave without a divorce. She, He had her tied up financially. Um, a lot of the debt was transferred into her name um, because the business couldn't cope with the debt, apparently. So a lot of the, a lot of the debt was transferred into her name. Um, so, you know, she wasn't in a financial position where she could move out um you know sort of overnight especially with with obviously the marriage and getting divorced also he knew that my mum didn't ever want to get divorced again um and that she was quite not ashamed but it was a lot for her first divorce was a was a horrible divorce um and it was not something she ever wanted to do again no one gets married to get divorced um and she didn't want the shame of getting divorced again so it was he knew she, he had her trapped. So that was when his behavior really started to decline. Um, my mum lost a lot of weight. I didn't really get on with her particularly well. We did, but we didn't. Um, a lot of heated arguments. He was never home. A lot of alcohol was involved. Um, not with my mum, she didn't drink at all, but with, with him, he was out all the time. Um, my mum never went out. We, we didn't really see family we didn't see friends um absolutely completely isolated which when you live in a rural area is even mm. worse than in an urban environment because your nearest neighbor is over a mile you know our nearest neighbor neighbor was like a mile away um there's no there's no just next door neighbors that you can knock on or you know they'll they they, they might overhear an argument there's no intervention in that sense um she left him on December the 9th, 2017, um, after he'd come home from a shoot, um, drunk, she was in bed and she'd been attempting to talk to him about their relationship for quite a period of time. Um, and he just wouldn't, he would give the silent treatment over it. He'd roll over in bed, wouldn't talk to her. Um, and he came in drunk, demanding to speak to her about their relationship late at night. Um, and she just hit a point where she didn't want to do it anymore. Um, she just lost a friend to cancer um, who was only a couple of years older than her. And she said, oh, if I meet the same fate, then I've only got a few years left to live. And it was a real game changer in sort of how she was thinking and time to get out. Mm. Um, she just ignored him and basically wanted to give him a taste of his own medicine with with the silent treatment, essentially, um, and continued watching the television. Um, he went and wrenched the television out of the wall and smashed it. I heard this from my bedroom. Um he left saying he, he was going to divorce her if she let him leave. He left. Um, but before leaving, he'd gone downstairs and gone into the gun cabinet, which was kept in the cupboard underneath the staircase. Um, he was stood at the bottom of the staircase, breaking the gun, putting it back together, which is quite, you, it's a very familiar sound, you know, mm. and it's not something you can mistake very easily at so all. Is this, a, is this an intentional intimidation tactic then? Yeah, a hundred percent. I would. There was no reason for him to need to go into his gun cabinet at that point in the night, um, at all. He tried to say that he was just putting his guns away after a day of shooting, but he never did that. It. He always left his gun out overnight in pieces to because they have to be cleaned. So he'd clean it the next day and then it'd be put away. So there was absolutely no reason for him to go into that cabinet. Um, and immediately after doing that, he stomped up the stairs 
um, incredibly slowly and burst through the bedroom door, which obviously, you know, that that's 100% of a fear tactic and an intimidation tactic. Um, when I managed to get into the bedroom after he left, I don't think I've ever seen my mum so petrified um, in my entire life. She was violently shaking. She could hardly put a sentence together. All she could say was, I thought he was going to kill me. Um, and that that was when we made the decision to leave. Um, did he, sorry to interrupt. Did he have the gun on his in his possession when he did this or did he leave the gun downstairs? No, and he did leave the gun downstairs. Um, right. But it was a period of time that he was breaking it and putting it back together yeah. uh, at the bottom of the stairs. Um, yeah, he left and we decided that's it. We need to go. Um, and between leaving and him murdering her was just a, a period of six weeks uh 49 days i believe i can't remember the exact um i can't remember the exact amount of days um but yeah it was not long at all where did, where did you go though i mean did he did he catch up to where you'd gone or did you have to return to the farmhouse at some point um we did go back at, over periods of time and um, we went and stayed with my grandparents and um, the only time we went back was christmas um just because my mum was that scared she wanted to try and keep the peace yeah. Um, and he was begging her to go back. He was crying to her. He was he. This is when he started stalking. Um, so he was going around to my grandparents' house, my godparents' house, all of my mum's friends sitting in their houses, crying to them. She needs to come back to me. I don't. I'm. I. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, really, really pushing them to manipulate my mum to go back to. Um, he was really trying to turn everyone against her. Um, including me he was texting me all the time calling me um he was he was turning up outside eventually we got a new house um three weeks before uh he killed her he was driving past the house every night he'd lost a lot of weight um and he was claiming he wasn't eating like you said um he was claiming he was suicidal there were several times that he was caught by friends um with his guns he turned up to my mum's workplace with a shotgun and sat outside in the car park um threatening to kill himself in the car park um my mum also went round to his house again shotguns involved um and she had to talk him down um and eventually managed to get the shotgun away from him um but it was very much a if you don't come back to me i will kill myself um, yeah. And he even said to my mum's best friend, if I can't have her, nobody will, which that is the biggest red flag going. Um, th that is the biggest warning sign that something is not OK. Um, I don't personally believe that he was suicidal. Um, it was more so a ploy of manipulation to get her to come back to him. Um it's very common. It's something that is seen a lot when someone leaves a domestic relationship, an abusive relationship. It's something that is very, very common. Um, eventually, he stole um, my mum. He took my mum's car off my nan and grandma's drive because she'd left the spare key at his house. Um, all of our stuff was still there. We were living out of cases at my nan and granddad's house. Um, and he turned up, took the car without us knowing. Um, when we'd obviously figured out the car was missing, we uh, my mum called him and he said, oh, well, the car's in my name, which, yes, it was. The car was in his name. However, all the payments, everything to do with it was in my mum's name. It was yeah. purely in his name because it was on the business uh, um, so that we could claim that back and all the other benefits that come along with having something registered on my business. Um, so, yeah, he took the car. 
in that period of time that he had it, he'd bought a tracker off the internet, fitted it to the car. Um, and once it was fitted, it was, oh, I'm really sorry. You can have your car back. I'm, you know, I, it's fine. Take it. Change, sudden change of heart, all because he knew then he would have ultimate control of knowing where her vehicle was at all all times. Um, yeah, he, he was following following her. He would call her. Uh, New Year's Eve, he called her several times while we were out. Um, he did not like that she was moving, trying to move on and get away from him. Um, he, he did not like that at all. Um, at this point, my relationship with my mum was just in tatters, essentially. I was, I did not trust him one bit. I was convinced he was going to do something. Um, we, my mom, I'd made sort of, I'd gone into school um, and I'd spoken to them about what he was doing with the guns. They were very aware of the the whole uh, split going on, um, but I'd let slip about the guns, which as soon as I did it, I knew essentially in my head, oh, I've messed up because now this is going to go somewhere and then I'm going to get in trouble for telling someone what's been going on. That was how I lived. I was constantly in fear of who might find out what's going on because I was scared of the consequences that yeah. I would face. Um, and, and all this is, I mean, this is all, I mean, the murder of your mother and all this leading up to it is just, it, it, it's tragic enough, really, isn't it? And I think it's it's compounded and made worse by the fact that you were, was it 14 at the time? Yeah, and... just gone, just gone 14. And you were there to, to actually witness it uh, as well as it happened, which is is unthinkable for most of us. And I mean, if you're comfortable talking about what happened that day, I mean, I'm sure people would be interested in hearing it, uh, of course. But I mean, to most of us, that that's an unthinkable thing that obviously your mother should never have had to experience and someone who's 14 definitely shouldn't have had to experience as well. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, the night before a police officer had come round, done a uh, an interview and deemed that essentially the gun they had eventually taken his guns temporarily um this officer deemed that um he because he was only threatening his own life that it was okay to give him his shotguns back which to me doesn't personally make sense but that's the protocol um ir irregardless he never actually used a licensed shotgun to kill my mum he'd taken a vintage shotgun from his parents house um, from sort of the 1800s it was an, an old hammer style so sort of in in the western films you see they cock the the back right. of the pistol back so it, it's yeah. one of those but shotgun so you have to cock both hammers and it's got two triggers on it uh, rather than just one um obviously one for each barrel um he'd essentially tested the gun and you know made repairs to the gun to be able to use it so it was absolutely 100 premeditated um my mum had gone out that night. Um, I was at her friend's house with her friend's daughters. They'd gone out of town. They'd gone somewhere where they believed he wouldn't find them. Um, obviously, he had the tracker, which we didn't oh, know about. Jesus, yeah. He turned up at the pub, um, confronted my mum, was talking to her outside, threatened to burn all of our belongings, Um Weirdly, I've seen the CCTV footage of um, him at the pub and it was very, very eerily calm. His demeanour was, he was so calm, um, which it was not really like him in those kind of scenarios. He would be calm, as I said earlier, in, in sort of arguments, but in those environments of sort of intense anger, he was never calm. So it was very, very eerie. Um, 
my mum finished her drink, wasn't really bothered after he'd left. I'd had a phone call with him um, as she'd got in contact with me. Georgia, I think he's tracked the car. I don't know how he's found me. Um, he's threatening to burn the stuff. Can you at least try to talk to him? And I was like, yeah, I'll try to talk to him. That was the first time in seven years of their relationship that I had ever been asked to get involved. And I knew it was serious, but because he was trying to win me over and get me onto his side, it was almost the only thing that could potentially calm him down uh, was me. Um, the conversation was recorded um, and actually was the only piece of evidence submitted into the trial um, that you can hear his voice because he did shoot himself after he killed my mum. Um, but he survived and just had severe facial injuries, so he can't talk anymore. Um, he, I had a huge argument with him down the phone. Um, he was not very nice, and then he hung up on me. My mum, at this point, came and picked me up, um, and we were driving back home. It was only a 10-minute drive, and it was very, very strange scenario to be in, knowing that you're being watched. It's very unnerving. And, you know, I said to mum, call the police, because he's obviously tracking you. Um, and she said, no, no, I'll do it in the morning, which I knew she wasn't going to do. And I called her out and I said, you won't, you won't call him in the morning. You, because she didn't want to cause any hassle because she was scared of what he would do if she continued to get the police involved. Um, because she didn't have any faith that the police would do anything. Yeah. Um, and she was scared of the repercussions of that. Um, again, we agreed, we came to an agreement. She called them when we got in that unfortunately we never made it that far. Um, we got home uh, just before getting home I said to her I'm I'm scared I don't trust him um, I think he's going to do something to hurt us um, and she'd said no no don't worry he won't hurt us I know him and I just heard the the last one of the last things I ever said to her was I, I wouldn't put it past him and not even five minutes later we pulled up onto the driveway um before we could even get out of the car his his truck had pulled up behind us and blocked us in uh into the driveway um the interior light was on in our car so i couldn't really see too much outside and um, my mum had looked into the rear view and said oh my god he's here um i'd immediately gone right i'm gonna i need to call the police here something i'm this is it this is go time essentially this is like the precipice um He'd got out of his truck, he'd come to the driver's side window um, and he'd started banging on the window. Well, with it being, it was 11 o'clock at night, with it being dark outside and light in the car, uh, I couldn't really see outside. All I could see was sort of a long metal object in his hands, which I believed at the time to sort of either be a shovel or um, a piece of scaffolding. It was a pipe of some description um, that I could see. Um, I jumped out the vehicle because... My mum was obviously trapped in the car with him being at her door. Um, and my plan was to essentially move him away from the door so that she could get out. So at least she could run away um, and we could deal with it when she wasn't trapped. Um, I'd gone round to the front, round the front of the car. And just as I'd sort of got past the registration plate um, while trying to unlock my phone, which my thumbprint id decided it didn't want to work so i was oh, struggling yeah. to get in and struggling to get onto the police um just before i got to him uh he shot through the window um and the first shot went through the right tricep uh into the chest um and sort of through her lungs um and then he shot her again 
um, and that came in through the through the neck and sort of exited out the armpit, um, severed the spinal cord, main arteries, all that kind of thing. Um, you know, in a, in a shotgun cartridge, for anyone who doesn't know, um, you know, there's, there are, there can be, uh, you know, up to 100, maybe even more pellets within, lead pellets within this one shot. So she's had two of these fired through her body mm. it's obviously you know i know particularly with my gun knowledge i know somebody doesn't get it's someone getting shot from that range it was point blank you don't survive so i immediately knew that's it game over um he turned on his heel and i chased him back to his car um i jumped on him and all that i in that moment that i could think to ask him was why um that was all that was coming to mind was well, why have you done this what was what was the need essentially um he didn't obviously want to speak to me. Um, he walked away, jumped, got back into his truck. Um, I followed him the whole way, trying to get him to talk to me. Um, I stood in front of his truck and I banged on the bonnet and I was like, just tell me why you've done this. Um, and I just heard the engine tick over and there was a little voice in the back of my head that said, just move. Um, couldn't tell you why, but I, I it's a good job I'm, I did move because... He wheel span off and he probably only missed me by a couple of inches with his truck. I'm incredibly lucky that I didn't get run oh, over. Wow. I'm also incredibly lucky that I didn't get shot. Um, the police did say that if I'd been in the vehicle um, and I hadn't got out to try and help my mum, the chances are I'd either be severely injured or I could even be dead. Um, so I'm, I'm incredible. And this was seconds. I'm incredibly lucky that I escaped with my life. Um, and the fact that I chased him, I don't quite know what possessed me to do that. Far more tenacious than any fourteen-year-old I've ever known, especially even myself. I, I can't, I can't imagine. Well, George, I'm, I'm devastated to say that we've we've run out of time, unfortunately. But I'm, I'm I'm very grateful for the work you're doing and sort of shining a light on this, especially the aspects of it. You know, the, the kind of coercive abuse that goes unnoticed and then can bubble up into something far more tragic. And I'm always I'm always amazed by people who have clearly had something pretty horrible happen in their life, but they've they've sort you know you forgive them for just trying to get on and, and move on from it. But the fact that you're out there and, and using your story to help other people, I think I think is a great thing. So thank you very much for speaking to us. I, I appreciate it a lot. Thank you very much. I mean, I was back in school. It was a Friday night and I was back in school the Monday morning. I was just on it. I sailed ahead. And all I've tried to do since That's amazing. Um, is just carry on my mum's legacy and live the life she'd want me to live. Um, I know full well she wouldn't want me to be wasting my life. She'd want me to have the best life I possibly can. I'm still young. Um, and I just need to go and grab every opportunity that I can. So that's essentially what I'm attempting to do. Um, and I think it's such a nice thing. To, it's such a good thing to be able to show people, particularly victims, that there is a life after domestic abuse because so many people come out of it just thinking that they they they've got nothing. And um, when you know you can build a good life, you can rebuild, uh, you can be happy, and you can move on. That's a great message to end with, Georgia. Thank you very much. I've been so impressed uh, with your character and, and your knowledge and all this. It's been it's been a uh, great to speak to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Take care.